If you're visiting with us for the first time today, um, we're busy with a series right now called Back to Basics, Principles for Successful Living. Where do we find these principles? We find them in the book of Exodus chapter 20, and we also know them as the Ten Commandments. We've been working through them now for a couple of weeks. This is week seven. So I'm going to jump straight into it because to try and recap all of that is uh, we'll, we'll, we'll spend the whole service doing that. So this week we are dealing with verse 14 of Exodus chapter 20, which says, you shall not commit adultery. So that is the seventh commandment, our seventh principle for successful living. You shall not commit adultery. Now, as I said, let's be honest, a lot of us are sitting here going, as with many of the previous weeks, I'm good. I haven't done this. I'm good. And no matter where we are on that spectrum, I believe if we're honest, it's true we may not have physically done anything. But isn't it true that within society today, within our culture, within our own personal lives, we actually entertain ourselves with adultery? We do. We entertain ourselves with adultery. If you confused at this point, consider the TV shows you watch. How, how many relationships are happening on these TV shows that are adulterous relationships? They, they, we, we actually celebrate in those moments. You know, we buy into the character. We're like, man, these people are awesome. It doesn't matter that she's married to him and he's married to her. And now they too. It actually doesn't, you know, it's just oh, it's so beautiful. Just... And we buy in, we buy in. And somewhere along the line, we actually entertain ourselves with, with, with immoral behavior. And we're okay with it. Ladies, some of the books you read, I've, I, I love exclusive books. I love going through them. And every once in a while, I walk past a section and I'm like, are you for real? And it's not even aimed at guys, it's aimed at women. Why? Because you guys are wired differently to the way we are. You know, we need pictures. You need words. You know what I'm saying? The movies we watch, the music we listen to, we celebrate immoral behavior, entertain ourselves with it. And then somewhere along the line, one of our close friends or family members falls into the trap. And we're shocked. And we're absolutely shattered. Feels like our world comes to an end. But somewhere along the line, we've been celebrating this secretly. And if we're honest, we know someone, we are someone, or we are raising someone who would highly benefit from adhering to what God is saying to us here. Do not commit adultery. Now, you might be new to church. This might be your first Sunday here or you haven't been for a while or you're listening to the podcast somewhere during the week because someone gave it to you because they thought it's a good idea for you to listen to and you're just doing it to please them. Um, but if you knew, I can't stress that it is such a good Sunday for you to have come to church because <laughs> today we're talking about sex. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and this area is so misunderstood when it comes to church and the followers of Jesus. You see, contrary to popular belief, Christians aren't against sex. We're not. In fact, we actually think it's a very good thing. 
We actually think it's a great idea. In fact, we actually believe that God created it. Now, I don't know how that worked, but I can well imagine that one day God's up in heaven with his angels and he's just kind of staring out into space. And at one point he just says, oh man, that is a great idea. <laughs> and his angels are like, what, 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 what? He says, man, you wouldn't understand. You're going to be jealous though, but it's a great idea. I don't know. I don't know how this came about, but we as believers, we believe that God created sex. And we believe that it's a crucial part of life, that it's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely amazing within the context of a marriage relationship. So God says here to us through Exodus 20, 14, he says to us, please, whatever you do, don't ruin it. Don't cheapen it. I made it and it's good. So don't ruin it and turn it into something that I never intended for it to be. Don't turn it into something dirty. Don't commit adultery. And the seventh commandment is not designed to spoil our fun or to restrict us, but rather, and I hope we get this, to protect our families, to protect our marriages, to make sure that we represent God well. And when we look at this principle for successful living, as we've been doing throughout this whole series, we always ask ourselves one question, and what is that? What did Jesus say about this? I'm so glad you asked. Let's go have a look in Matthew 5, 27 to 28. Jesus said this, he said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what does Jesus do? As with the previous years, or previous weeks, he takes it and he shifts it. Isn't that the truth? Because here, here he's saying, just as last week we spoke about, about, about do not commit murder. And then Jesus says, yeah, don't commit murder, but don't even get angry enough to murder. Like there's a place where this murder starts and it's in the heart. Don't allow that anger to set in. And this is no different. Here Jesus is saying, yes, don't commit adultery. But at the same time, don't look at someone in a way. Don't look at someone in a way that you start to entertain that thought where it becomes something that, that slips into your heart and, and, and becomes something that I never intended for you to get involved in. See, he looks at the intent. He looks at the heart. Essentially what Jesus is saying is, I don't want you to entertain it in your mind because it will settle in your heart. So why would Jesus be so concerned with that? Well, there was another guy who had a couple of things to say about this. Uh, the Apostle Paul. Paul comes onto the scene and, um, and he had quite a bit to say about this. So he went to visit this church in, in, in Corinth, uh, in, an area, and, 
as he's talking to the church in Corinth, Corinth had issues, man. The church in Corinth had, had huge issues, and specifically in the area of sexual purity. So he'd visited them, seen how, how messed up things were, and then somewhere along the line, he, he's, he's back home, and he writes them a letter, and he sends them the letter, and we get to read the letter. And this is what he said to them in the letter. In 1 Corinthians 6, from verse 18, he says, Flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. Now, if we're honest and we look at that line, flee sexual immorality, if we're honest, that is what every husband wants his wife to do. That is what every wife wants her husband to do. That's what every fiance wants their fiance to do. That's what every parent wants their child to do. That's what every big brother wants his little sister to do. Isn't that the truth? But we live in this culture that doesn't encourage us to flee from. We live in a culture that encourages us to flirt with. Not to flee from. Heck no, imagine how different our society would look. Consider that. Consider the, 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 the amount of poverty that would be cut down if people fleed from and didn't flirt with. Why? Because we'd have so many less unwanted pregnancies. Isn't that the truth? So many less orphans in this world today where people have just abandoned them. Why? Because they didn't flee from somewhere along the line someone flirted with. We would live in a completely different world. And, and we do, whether, whether we go that far or we just flirt with it, as we said, you know, on what's on TV and in our TV shows and, and the content and, and the books we read and the advertising we engage in and the stuff we engage in on social media or anything else with a WWW on the front. And here, Paul isn't trying to spoil our fun. I think it's so important for us to realize Paul's not trying to spoil our fun. What Paul's saying is that God has given us this incredible gift and that this gift needs to be treated with great, great care. Why? Let's have a look. Paul goes on to say, we'll pop up there for you. There we go. Free from sexual immorality, all other sins... All other sins. What Paul's doing is he's actually drawing a distinction. He's creating a category all on its own. He says this sin is in a category completely on its own. Why? Because this sin is uniquely damaging. You see, whether we're willing to admit it or not, we can recover fully financially. We can recover fully academically. But when it comes to sexual sin, it's not the case. Forgiven, most definitely. Most definitely. Always. That's God's heart for us. But fully escape the consequences of this? Never. The damage is done. Why? Because it affects and undermines the potential of all 
other relationships and intimacy. It has this nasty way of resurfacing. And if ever you've been in that place, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Sexual sin will unfortunately make you a liar and a secret keeper for life. We'll admit all sorts of stuff about our past. We'll, we'll admit previous bankruptcy, as we've said. We'll, we'll admit um, uh, previous substance abuse. We'll, we'll admit previous arrests that, that may have happened. But when it comes to this thing, there's always this secret life that's attached to it. So Paul says, forgiven, most definitely. Forgivable, absolutely. But the consequences to the sin in this area is completely different to the consequences of other sins. And, and if we're honest, we know that. We know that. We know that sexual sin has a way of following us from relationship to relationship to relationship. See, folks, it's not a forgiveness issue. It's the nature of sexuality. So he says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So we've said this word sexual sin a couple times now, and you may be sitting there going, Ramon, well, what sexual sin? Like, where's the line? What, you know, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? And I know that many of us have thought that. Um, so let's go and have a look at, at, at sexual sin. What, I think the best way for us to define this is to go and look at, at in the New Testament. How does the New Testament define sin? So in the New Testament, sin is defined as hurting, stealing from, or dishonoring someone else. Stealing, sorry, hurting, stealing from, or dishonoring someone else. That is sin. Why? Because everyone that you could possibly ever hurt, steal from, or dishonor is someone that God loves with all his heart. You see, if we're honest, you and I will not be okay if you mistreat my child. Isn't that the truth? Parents, you will not be okay with me if you mistreat my child. I mean, you can sing worship songs to me. You can come and sit in rows on a Sunday and worship me all day long. But if you mistreat my child... You and I are not going to be okay. So why do we treat God different? Why do we treat God different? So when we do things to each other, we end up hurting our heavenly father. And he's not okay with that. And that's why it's called sin. Why? Because he loves us. And he loves the person that, we've hurt, that we've stolen from, that we've dishonored. So we know there's a golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We know it. But there's, there's kind of like a platinum rule that us as Christians should be living by. And it's this, that I must treat you the way that God 
through Christ has treated me. You get that? I must treat you the way that God, through Christ, has treated me. And when you take this unbelievable gift that God has given us, that's been designed to be an exclusive, a one-of-a-kind, a covenant relationship with one other person and, the, and divided up among several other relationships, we end up hurting who God loves. We end up hurting others. And ultimately, folks, we end up hurting ourselves. Now, again, I've got to stress, it's not because God is against sex. He's not against sex. It's because God loves, honors, and cherishes you, loves you with all of his heart, and he loves the other person with all of his heart. Let's carry on here. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Then he goes on to say this at the end of verse 19. He says, do you not know what's Paul saying? Saying, hey, maybe there's something you don't know. And if you knew this something, it would maybe affect the way that you act towards people in the future. So he says, do you not know? And right here, this is really where, where, where Paul's moving from, from, from not just consequence, but he's, he's moving to something so much greater, such a bigger idea. And he, he says this, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Ultimately, here Paul is he's shifting the focus from consequence to identity. Consequence to identity. Guys, this is a, a massive, massive thought. What he's saying is, do you not know who you are? Do you not know whose you are? Do you not know what you are? What are we? We are a temple, the dwelling place of God. We are sacred. Ramon, there's no such thing in this world today, in our culture today, nothing sacred. Paul's saying, hey, whoa, whoa, you are sacred. Why are you sacred? You are sacred because you are a sacred image bearer of the Most High God. That's who you are. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And we know that the value of a container is determined by what it contains, isn't it? The value of a container. The, a, a container is only as valuable as what's in it. Consider your wallet. If I had to wear a ski mask and walk up to you with a gun and say, give me your wallet, you can keep everything in it, I just want your wallet. Are you going to fight me? Probably not. You're going to be like, dude, take my wallet, man. As long as I get to keep everything inside. Why? Because what's inside is valuable, right? You may not think that the plastic or anything else in there is actually valuable at this stage. But consider the queue you'd have to go and stand in at the licensing department. What's in your wallet is what determines the value of your wallet. The exact same thing applies to us. 
You are incredibly valuable to God. And so are the people around you. Paul carries on. He says, you are not your own. You are not your own. You may be sitting there, yes, I am. Bet your bottom dollar I am my own. It's my body. I can do with it as I please. I choose for me. But Paul here, when he says you are not your own, what he's saying is be glad that you're not your own. Why? Because ownership also determines value. Isn't that true? Let me give you an example. I've used this example before. In 2014, you could have bought a Fender uh, Stratocaster for about 29,000 rand. Two years later, in 2016, a 2014 Stratocaster was sold, catch this, for 720,000 rand. Isn't that a great investment? Why? Because the person who sold it was the owner of the guitar. And the person who sold it was a gentleman by the name of Eric Clapton. So because Eric Clapton owned the guitar, it went from 29,000 rand to 720,000 rand. The value skyrocketed because of who owned it. Who owns you? Who owns you? When you are not your own and you are the ownership of the Most High God, your value shoots through the roof. So Paul is saying, you are owned by your heavenly Father and that gives you extraordinary value. He carries on here in verse 20. He says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Let's be honest. This motorcycle in front of me here, I can slap any price on it that I want. I can slap the price tag of a million rand on this motorcycle. Is it worth a million rand? Possibly not. Why? Because unless someone is willing to pay a million rand for this motorcycle, it's not worth a million rand. Just because I slap a price tag on it doesn't mean that that's its value. When someone comes and pays for it, and what someone is willing to pay for it, that determines the value of the item. And here Paul is saying to us, you are worth to God. God looks at you, and you are worth sending his son to the cross. That's how valuable you are. That's how valuable you are. He goes on and he says, therefore, wherefore, therefore, meaning in the light of everything that we've said, in the light of everything that we've been discussing, therefore, honor God with your bodies. And here's the application. Honor God with your bodies. You see, folks, this is really the New Testament sexual ethic. Honor God with your bodies and honor the other bodies around you. Honor God with your bodies and honor the other bodies around you. It's not just about consequence. It's about identity. It's about whose image we bear. Now, as we've spoken through this, you may be sitting there going, Ramon, I didn't know. Well, that's why Paul said, 
You don't know. You may not know. But now you know. See, folks, what if we saw everyone in that way? What if when we looked at people, we saw them for the value that Paul says is in them? What if we started looking at each other that way? What if we started looking at people as image bearers of God? What if we started looking at people as loved by God? Wouldn't that maybe change the way that we treat them? Across the board now. So this morning, I'd like to get a little bit practical with you. And just, just give you some helpful hints. Uh, how do we, how do we, how do we uh, this thing of, of, of do not commit adultery, how do, we, how do we work past this? How do we not fall into that trap? Well, how do we move from flirt with to flee from? I'm going to give you three and then an honorable mention notes to take home. If you haven't been taking notes, this might be a good time to start. Either way, listen up. The first way that I can move from flirting with to fleeing from is to talk to your spouse about it. Talk to your spouse about it. Talk to your spouse about about the boundaries that you need to set with um, potentially problematic people. Who's a potentially problematic person? You know. You know exactly who the potentially problematic person is. What do I mean? Well, ladies, when you're sitting at your workspace at work, the highlight of your day is when he comes up to you and tells you how pretty you look and and how was your weekend and how's your day going. Why? Because he just understands you in a way that your husband just doesn't understand you. I mean, your husband understands the TV remote and rugby and racing and motorcycles, but he doesn't understand you, and this guy understands you. Problematic person. Gentlemen, you get to your workspace, and as you walk in to get to your workspace, you can either go left or you can go right, and you always go left. Why? Because she sits on the left, and you always want to know if she's wearing that little number, and you love the attention that she gives you, isn't it? So can I make you a cup of coffee? You don't need sugar, you're sweet enough. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Problematic person. We need to speak to our spouses about these things, folks. Lay it out there and say, hey, man, I'm getting attention at work from so-and-so. And it's no good. It's no good. And you need to know about this. You might be sitting there going, dude, I won't have a marriage, man. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, I'm walking my son through our complex. And we, we're walking <clears throat> past a certain house. And um, there's a lady who lives there. My wife and I have chatted to her before. As we're walking, yeah, this lady comes storming out of her, out of her yard. She's all over Zion. And I'm like, man, she's dressed really provocatively, like her low-cut top. And the next thing as she's playing with my son, I'm like, that's all she's wearing. And I'm like thinking, dude, I came for a walk. I didn't come for a show. <laughs> so I, I, I grab my son. I'm like, have a nice day. 
I was like, Joseph, man, my robe would have been left behind. But I jet. I get home. I went home. I didn't even go for further walk. I just went home. As my wife walked through those doors at night, I was like, hey, babe, before I find out how your day was, you got to hear this. I was like, this is what happened. Remember that house? Remember that lady? Okay, so this happened. Boom, 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 boom. And I picked up a weird vibe and blah, blah, blah. But I just felt you need to know. What did I just do there? I disarmed it. Why? Because she's now aware of it. She's now aware of it. For me to go and muck about there, I'm setting myself up. Am I not? Why? Because my wife knows. My wife knows. We need to talk to our spouses about these things. All right. I'm a firm believer in the fact that we need to avoid traveling with potentially problematic people, traveling alone with them, eating alone with them. I believe that with all my heart. Um, I'm going to try to move through this quick. Um, All right. When it comes to that, folks, we just need to pay attention to the tension. When there's tension there between us and someone else, we need to pay attention to it. Uh, talk to your spouse about it. If you struggle to, if you struggle to, then that should be a warning. That should be a warning that that thing is no good and you need to talk about it. The second one, don't counsel potential problematic people. Don't counsel potentially problematic people. I want to go as far as to say, don't counsel anyone from the opposite sex. Never. I've seen too many pastors do this. And as a result, they aren't pastors anymore. As a result, they don't have marriages anymore. Why? Because they've fallen in this area. Why? Because somewhere along the line, there was an attraction that built up. Just avoid it, man. Besides, chances are you're not even a counselor. Actually, chances are we don't even know if you give good advice. So send them to a counselor. Hey, send them to a counselor. You see, they may need help. They don't need you. They may need help, but they don't need you. You know how many people I offend? Not people, mainly ladies. Because I refuse to counsel with a lady. I do. I absolutely do. I refuse to counsel with a lady. You may be thinking, don't you hurt their feelings? I'm like, I'd rather hurt their feelings than lose my marriage. Fact. I'd rather hurt someone's feelings and cause minimal damage than screw up there and cause catastrophic damage to my wife and to my family. Just don't do it. Just say no. It's just like crack. Just say no. (laughs) Thirdly, When you feel your heart moving, when you feel your heart shifting, when you feel your heart moving towards someone else that's not your spouse, tell somebody. Tell somebody. You may feel that your relationship isn't strong enough with your spouse. It may cause damage because of stuff that may have happened in the past, but you want to be accountable in this area. Go find someone. Have someone that you're accountable to, that you're able to speak to and say, hey, I feel like my heart's shifting. Uh, in an unhealthy way towards another person. 
tell someone. Why? Because the power of sin is in its secrecy. And when we tell someone, we diffuse it completely. All right, honorable mention. Social media. Now again, just like not being against sex, I'm not against social media. I think social media can be a great thing when it's used properly. I think it can be highly destructive when it's not. Kind of like a secretary. Um, So when it comes to social media, let's be honest. Let's be honest. When it comes to social media, when it comes to an emotional affair, you see, we don't have to sleep with someone to have an affair with them. You can build up an emotional affair and that's sometimes even more destructive on a family. But when it comes to this emotional connection, social media is like a gateway drug. It's like this, this, this way into that. It's 10 times worse than meeting the person in, per, in, in person. Why? Because when we meet physically, we get to see what's and all. We, go, we get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly if you hang out with them long enough. But on social media, you have this barrier. You've got this filter, you know. All you see is the highlights. You just, you just see all the good day after day after day after day. And after a while, we start to build up these pictures of this person, this, this, this bogus concept of who this person is. So that by the time we actually come face to face with a person and meet them, then hormones, pheromones, and all sorts of moans are off the chart. Isn't that a fact? But it's all a lie. It's all a lie. Why? Because we've been able to put our best foot forward. So just stay away from interacting with potentially problematic people on social media. Here's what I want to say about social media. Does your spouse know your password? Maybe maybe for you, this is a no-go zone. So maybe you and your spouse need to share a social media profile. You guys just share that. Maybe you've built it up for too long and you want your two separate pages. That's fine. But have each other's passwords. I want to say this to you, folks. Your phone, your tablet, your computer should never be private from your spouse. You should never have the secret little world that you just get to function in. See, the Word of God tells us that for this reason, a man will leave his father, his mother. He'll be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Well, when she's not allowed in on my phone, are we one flesh? I question that. If she's not allowed into my, my computer, are we one flesh? If she's not allowed onto my tablet, and the other way around, ladies, the other way around applies just as much. Is your husband allowed into your instant messaging system on your social media? I hope so. If you don't share a profile, share passwords. I think that's fair. Now that everyone's angry with me, I want to ask you this. The truth is, folks, dangerous environments require extreme measures. Dangerous environments require extreme measures. And the culture that we live in today is a dangerous environment. So I want to ask you this. What is the wisest thing you can do to protect your relationship before you need to protect your relationship? Do it. You might be sitting there thinking, 
My goodness. I don't know we talk about this stuff in church. But I want to ask you this. Marriage and engage, married and engaged couples. What is, what is our culture? What in our culture equips you and supports you to remain faithful in your marriage? Think about it. What in media? What on TV? What in the paper? What on social media? What in advertising? What in our culture supports you to remain faithful in your marriage? I've got a pretty good idea what the answer is. Singles. Singles. Who or what in our culture equips and supports you to remain faithful to God in your sexuality? Again, I think I know the answer. The truth is, folks, the church is virtually the only place where we equip and support you in your marriage to remain faithful before God. So maybe what God said about not committing adultery and maybe what Jesus said about not entertaining the thought and maybe what Paul said about flee sexual immorality. These are the consequences. You're an image bearer of the Most High God. Maybe this is something worth listening to. I want to encourage you. Think about it. Talk about it. But then do something about it. So, worship teams, welcome to come back. Flee or flirt? Flee or flirt? We'll be confronted with both. We'll have the opportunity to apply both. We can flirt and bear the consequences. Or we can flee. And here's the thing. Flee honors God. Flee honors God the other person and flee honors you. And when we choose to really honor God and flee, then somewhere along the line, we'll actually be able to say to that one person that God has placed in our lives, I am forever yours, faithfully. Father God, as we've just spoken through some very real things here this morning, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you're not out to spoil our fun, Lord. That you're not out to to make life dull and boring, Lord. But Lord, that quite the opposite, Lord. That you love us so much, Lord. And that you don't want to see us take on damage that we were never meant to take on, Lord. Lord, this morning, I pray for courage for, for, for couples who are going through some traumatic time right now, Lord. Lord, I thank you for courage to be able to come and sit face to face and be honest with each other, Lord. Lord, to invite you into that discussion, Lord. And say, hey, how can we better honor God by better honoring each other.
Lord, I thank you that you will give for uh, couples, that you'll give singles strength, Father God. Lord, to really take this word even for themselves and, and go, Lord, I so desire to flee. I don't want to flirt with it. I want to flee, Lord. Because at the end of the day, I want to be your best. Because I'm hoping that you give me your best one day. So Lord, whether, whether it's couples, whether it's singles, Lord, this morning, I really pray. Lord, that the truth of your word will drop into our hearts, Lord. Lord, and that we'll really give this the right amount of thought, Lord. Bring it to you, Lord. That we'll talk about it with you, Lord. But that ultimately, we'll take what you've given us, Lord, and that we'll actually do something about it, Lord. Lord, we commit this area of our sexuality to you, Lord. Completely yours, Lord. Father God, we recognize that we are your image bearers. And I pray that as we go out this week, Lord, that we will live as your image bearers. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.